Welcome to the Justin Spaulding Show, episode 13. Here with Maudine first. I wish we had some music like wah, wah, the first show oh. without Ryder. Finally. Yeah, finally. Finally, Ryder's gone. I hope he's listening right now. That sucker. <laughs> he's out selling paint jobs. He's on a roll this week. I know he was trying to get like twenty-five dollars or $50,000 was his goal or something crazy, but I don't know how close he's going to get to that, but he just might do it. I know he's been closing a lot of jobs. So first episode without Ryder, episode 13. Be cool if we had some graphics and stuff. But uh, yeah, this week we got some more questions. We got a cool episode next week. We had um, a handful of questions. I get asked all the time what it looked like starting Prime Painters and how we started it and some of the details there and how we starting to you know scale it and all that. And I thought that would be worthy of a uh, the whole episode, an entire uh, podcast in itself. So I think next week that's what we're gonna do is just do um we're gonna answer that one question and i think that'll be a pretty good episode and we'll go pretty in depth on how how much money i spent starting it and what i did to start it and um kind of first steps i took and then how we have kind of built it to the point where it is today and then um just kind of from there we'll uh talk about where we're planning on taking it so um so yeah that being said what is march madness today i got illinois winning my bracket you don't do that. You know, Maudine doesn't do brackets. No, he's no, too cool. He's too, he's too too busy buying and selling Dogecoin. Dogecoin. He doesn't care about a bracket. All right, let's jump into a question. And I'm going to see quick if Instagram Live, if you're joining on Instagram right now, please leave a question. We'll get, we'll get back to it here in a little bit. First question is, how many deals a week do we review? Do I review? Um, I don't have a set number. It just kind of depends on the week. There's some weeks that I'll review, you know, 15, 12, 15, 20. Um, there's other weeks that there's other weeks that will uh, I don't look at any because it's it's not what my focus is that week. When we have a deal under contract, I'm looking at a lot less deals because I'm very focused on getting that deal done. Uh, but yeah, so there's no specific number. It just depends where we're at in the cycle as far as um, what we've already got, what, we've, what we're under contract in right now, what's going on in our other businesses. Uh, I'm getting close to the point where, you know, with like Prime Painters, we're starting to develop a little bit of a sales organization where um, Ryder's a sales rep, but we have a marketer starting on April 6th. Maudine joins us full-time April 6th. Who's, who's been doing a lot of the podcast stuff. Um, but the marketer's gonna start April 6th to work along with Ryder, and, and that's the start of kind of starting a sales uh, company a little bit. And I think at some point, you know, those the sales guys will be able to use them for multiple things. And I think, um, you know, Ryder's probably someone that will help me look and, you know, get out there to, to, to look at more deals from the high level and um, try to move some things down into our pipeline uh, before it gets to me. Um, and, and basically at that point, I, at the top of my sales funnel, I want that thing to be as wide as possible, basically, right? So, and then we have different parameters that we'd start to look at to nail it down, uh, narrow it down a little bit. So, because it needs to get better, right? You can never be looking at too much. It's just once again, where, where, um, what's the capacity of yourself right now? What's the capacity of your company right now? And how much can you? Uh, what's most important? And how much can you bite off and chew and handle like right now at this point in time and each day, each week, right? And so each week. We're, we're, we're at we're close to capacity sometimes and I don't get to look at as many deals as I want to look at um, So I don't know if that answers your question, but there's no set. There's no set right number, right? Uh, now throughout the year. I'm making sure that I'm gonna look at whatever it takes to uh, Get our goals right and our goal is you know by the end of this year. We'd love to be between 1200 1500 units um, which means we're closing on another 
you know, 500 to 700 units this year and find our way to do that. Now we have to, we had for sure, from where we're at right now, we for sure have to get out and look at more deals than we're looking at right now. We look at a lot, but, uh, and, and it also depends on what your definition of what, what's, what is looking at, right? Or what is reviewing? I mean, because a lot, 50% of the deals that I look at, I used to, I talked about this a few episodes ago, when you're just starting, you should look at each deal very in depth get all the financials so that you can learn. When you get to a certain point, when you understand what you're looking for, and you start to understand the markets that you're looking in, 50% of the deals that come off your desk are gonna get swiped to the side right away, just like on Bumble, just you know, swipe left or whatever. That's left is gone, I think. Bumble and like, you ever been on those apps? No, you never been on Bumble? What about, uh, what's that other one? Yeah, you ever been on that one? No. Swipe left, they're gone. Right? right, so you're gonna swipe left on 50%, 60%, whatever, and they're gonna be gone out of the picture. Um, once you get, once you get skilled enough, because you're gonna be able to kind of rule it out uh, right away. So if you count a lot of that, there's a lot of stuff that comes by my desk that it's like I take a very high level look at, you know, where it is, um, if there's any rent disparity, because a lot of the markets that deals are coming to me, I already know the market and all that stuff. If it doesn't have some of the things that I'm looking for at the high level, um, and then like the cap rate and the price per unit, and you know, there's like five or six things I look at. If it doesn't have it, I just swipe. I don't. I don't need to waste any more time on that one right now. Now, I never throw a deal away. I keep. I can go back to like in my computer. I've got deals that I looked at in 2013, um, and 2014, and 15, and 16. So I can always go back to to look at the deal later, right? So what happens sometimes? I'll swipe a deal to the side right away, but it's like I remember what's out there kind of a little bit. And I might come back to that one. I might come back to that one in, in, in three months or four months if it's still around. So so that's, that's I don't know if that, how much that helps answer your question. There's no right way to do it. Obviously, if you're looking to buy, the more that you look at, the better opportunity you're gonna have, right? Anyone that goes out and looks at a thousand units in a thousand deals in a week is gonna have better odds of buying one than someone that just goes and looks at one or two, right? So the more, the better, if that's what you're trying to do. Audine, next question. Do I still, do I think single family market will cool off soon? I, I'm not as in tune with the single family market other than I know that it's just like on fire. People, you know, there's the, the pricing right now is insane. I live on a lake and like I know what other things have been selling for on the lake. And it has just been insane over the last two years how much those values have increased. Um, I know this, getting into trying to look at flipping homes a little bit, because I'm invested in a deal right now that we're flipping a house. It's hard to find those opportunities, especially on market. You, you try to find them on market, you're not gonna be able to find them. So um, do I think it's gonna cool off soon? From my limited knowledge and all this stuff of, of the single family, I, I don't know. Um, what I do know that's different from right now with single families then back in like, you know, when the, the, the early 2000s when things were on fire as well, there was oversupply and there were people that had horrible credit getting two and three mortgages um, who didn't have the finances to do that really, but everything was just getting accepted. So apparently they can't hear me on Instagram, but um, so it's very different now where you look at when the great recession, uh, when, when the recession happened uh, in the late 2000s, basically all building went on hold like a, just a screeching halt, like stopped, right? And so, but then nothing was really built and nothing was really built in 09, uh, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. You know, around here where I'm at, you know, 2014, you started to see a little bit more building come back, 15, 16, 17. And now like building, you know, you see more building going on, 
but there's not an oversupply yet. So from that, from the supply and demand standpoint, it, it, in my opinion, it shouldn't slow down. But another thing that's really driving these prices right now too is the interest rates, obviously. Interest rates being so low, people are able to lock in a 30-year rate and they're able to go do that. Now, if interest rates go up, like they, they, they edged upwards here over the last 30, 30 to 40 days, now they've kind of stayed steady since that little nudge upward. But if interest rates were to keep going up, that will obviously change um, change buyer sentiment and, and, and buyer aggression because they're not gonna wanna be as aggressive on the pricing if they have a higher interest rate because it can change the, the, the their monthly payments and all that stuff drastically. So so I, I don't know. You know, I'm not I'm not a fortune teller. I don't deal too much with single family houses and so that's just my two cents uh, and feeling on it. Yeah, Instagram can't hear me for some reason. Instagram. Let me know if you can't hear me on Instagram. But it's just one guy saying he can't hear me. There's seven people watching, so you can hear me? Yeah, Instagram can hear me. I think, uh, Aaron, if that's you, uh, you, you're the one that can't, uh, can't hear me. Everyone else can hear me. Uh, Maudine, next question. Maudine, if there's any questions that spark, like, if there's anything that I'm saying that sparks a question that you have, like, you can chime in too, man. Do I ever use an agent or always direct to seller? I, this is the thing that just drives me crazy, right? I will, any, a deal is a deal is a deal is a deal. I don't care who's involved. I prefer other people get compensated because if other people are getting compensated when I'm doing something, what do you think is going to happen when they have, when they end up coming across a deal, who are they going to bring it to me? Right? So I, I don't care how I buy a deal. As long as the deal works and makes sense, it doesn't matter if there's another agent involved. It doesn't matter if it's directly seller to sell. It doesn't matter if it's bank owned. I do not care. I could care less. And I, I've, you know, I think we've, we've done deals probably, you know, a third of our deals have been directly from seller um, and off market. A third of our deals have been, you know, from a, from a broker, um, or an agent um, that has been like a pocket listing, so not widely advertised, but the broker, you know, brought it to our attention because he knew the seller and whatever. The seller didn't want to go to a live, you know, blasted everywhere. And then we bought a third of our deals when they've been, you know, publicly um, out there uh, and shown off to the entire world and, and all these other buyers to buy. So that right there just shows that it doesn't, to me, I do not care as long as I think it's a deal, as long as I think we can have success there. I don't care. And my preference even beyond up and above and beyond that is I continue to scale. Like I, I prefer that other people get paid off the deals that we're doing. So once again, when people are getting paid from what you're doing, you're going to have more success in the future because if you can be their sunlight, right, um, that gives them nourishment, AKA money and getting them paid, they're going to keep coming back. And that's what I want. Um, I think too many people when they're just starting, this goes, this, this kind of falls into the same thing where, you know, people are like, dude, you spend how much on attorneys? Why don't you find a cheaper attorney? Because my attorneys do their job correctly. They're the only, they're the group of guys that whenever they say they're going to do something, they follow through and they do it. There's a lot of attorneys out there that they, they say they're going to do something and they, they fail on it or they don't follow through on it. So I have no problem paying for and getting value, right? I need a team. I need people. I need, you know, I don't want to be the person that's just doing stuff alone. There's other people that try to be their own attorney, that try to be their own accountant, try to like, I'm not, I'm not filing my own taxes. I'm not going online to some, to save, you know, 150 bucks or 200 bucks to do that. I need other professionals in my life. Other people are successful um, in my life 
to, to grow this thing, to do what I want to do and accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. So um, the more people that can get fed because of you, I promise you, the better it will be for your future in, in business. We have questions up there or what? Daniel, thanks for joining us. Colin, thank you for joining us. Anthony. Anthony says, uh, how's your rent? Find that call. How, Anthony says, how's your rent collection going? Our rent collection is going pretty well. The crazy thing is when you're looking at um, Ava, our controller, she has a graph that if you remove the dates on the graph, she has a graph on there and it shows all the months, right? The last like, you know, 12, 24 months, however many months you want to see. And it shows our delinquencies and age receivables. And it's insane. You could, If you remove the dates, obviously with the dates, you can tell when COVID started and everything shut down, right, Maudine? Yeah. You got dates, it's easy. But if you, if you remove the dates, you'd be able to look at that and be like, wow, right there is when the world shut down because all of a sudden our delinquencies went, and we don't have very high delinquencies. I mean, we're probably, I don't know, maybe maybe the, maybe four, six, four to 6% um, delinquencies. Uh, so we've been, we've been ahead of the national average, that's for sure, as far as our collections and everything. But you can still tell, like our, our delinquencies probably doubled Maybe maybe doubled or tripled um, once COVID started, and it's continued to kind of climb, and it's flattened out since then. We've been able to collect some big, um, you know, there's been people that have been six, seven, eight grand behind that have either got help or help from somewhere, or have just decided to pay, and they've you know come through and pay. And then obviously this 25 billion dollars that was released um, not too long ago in this new stimulus package, um, that's out there now. And I, I don't know if the money's actually released, but we have a internal committee um, that's been on top of this thing for the last four or five weeks. Um, and they're leading the charge there so that we make sure that we're able to capture some of those dollars too as we go forward from um, tenants that have been delinquent, you know, and um, we're trying to collect, trying to collect everything. You know, something that we did when we couldn't evict, uh, we we started sending people to collections and it. we worked with the people that were actually affected. If they reached out to us and said, hey, I've been affected, I lost my job and they provided proof and they were being cooperative, we worked with all those people. A lot of people, all of a sudden, it's like they fall off the edge of the earth when COVID happened and they didn't reply to us when we asked, hey, what's going on? Why haven't you paid your rent, right? If they were actually, in my mind, if they were actually affected by COVID, they would have came out and said something like the other people did. So when they, when they started running from the problem and hiding from the problem, like we can't evict them, we can't get them out. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm just going to send you collections. So we started sending people to collections. We let them know ahead of time that we're going to send them to collections. And when we did that, you know, people came out and started paying, right? So, you, you know, we tried to find a way around the eviction thing a little bit. And like I said, we want to work with people. Um, we get COVID, you know, affected people for sure and, and still is affecting people. And, and those people that are coming out and being cooperative, though, and wanting to set in, set up a, a payment plan with us, we're going to work with those people. All the time, we'll work with those people. But when you're hiding from us, I don't, I don't respond to that very well. So, um we, we would send people to collections. So that's a little bit of an update on the rent collection. Um, good question, Anthony. Um, so our collection has been pretty, pretty good. They've been ahead of, of, of national averages, regional averages. And hopefully a lot of this COVID stuff is going to be more and more behind us. You know, I know, I think at the end of March, we're able to evict people again. So I think things will start to change uh, unless something changes there again with where they, they decide to extend the eviction moratorium. But I, I'm thinking that hopefully if they haven't done it so, you know, so far, we've got like what money in two weeks until about a week and a half until the 31st. So it's right around the corner. Um, Logan asks, uh, do you have a real estate sales license? I do, Logan. 
really the only reason that I have one is because I, I, I got one right out of college because I just like, well, I didn't I, I didn't necessarily know how I was going to get my foot in the door with real estate and start to make money. And I thought maybe I'd be a realtor for a little while to make money to then invest it. Um, ended up not being the case, but I got my sales license and that way I, I actually still made referrals and people I got referral fees and, and stuff like that. Um, and and it's it's helped because I mean I've been also been able to collect some other income on 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 other deals and stuff like that that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to do if I didn't have a sales license. Do I do I need a sales license um, to do what I'm doing? No, I don't need it. Now, obviously, our firm Spalding Group is a brokerage, but we're a brokerage. I, I'm not a broker. I have a salesperson's license. I do not have a broker's license. My company has a broker's license because CJ, our chief operating officer, she has a broker's license. Ryder is back. I'm not yeah. back. I'm leaving. Oh, you're leaving? I got Okay, we just interrupted our podcast. Yeah, I know. I wanted to. We 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 just got done talking about you. We were saying everyone. Uh, we're saying Ryder's no longer part of the show. We fired him. Yeah. Wow. Ryder's out of That's here. Intense. Fired Ryder. That's right. Money's probably better. Than Hot, hey, and I told everyone what your goal was for the week. What twenty five thousand or fifty? I can't remember. Five, but we can hit fifty. Hold on. What's where are you at right now? Are you gonna hit it? Twenty five. You got 16 or 17? Yeah. That's it. Someone. So you're going to close nine grand today? Yeah. Really? Are you? Well, I'm going to send out like eight estimates today. So, so you're going to close nine. Here's the thing. The week's done at 5 p.m. Oh, well, no, I can go till midnight. No, might, no. All right. Well, when's the weekend? Saturday, I'll, I'll give you through Saturday. Sunday. I'll oh, give you through, oh, Sunday. through Sunday. Let's start this. We started this. Well, when did you start your this count of 16? It's Monday. Okay. Friday, usually. Well, no, I'll, I'm good with seven days. I don't care. All right. So if you, it, but but when's your sixteen thousand count? When did that start? Did that start last Sunday or Saturday? Monday. That started Monday. All right. So I'll give you Sunday. I'll give you a full week, dude. So if that started Monday, nice. <laughs> if that started Monday at eight a.m., I'll give you till the next Monday at seven fifty nine and fifty nine seconds and ninety nine. What's that stake? Hundreds of a second. What's, what's, uh, what, what's the? You're not getting a stake out of this. No, I mean like if I oh. don't. Oh, what's the? I, dude, it's just if you're if you're great, you compete with yourself and you just set bars and you go chase it. Well, I'm gonna go get it. So. so, so, so you got that much time. You might as well just try to hit fifty. All right, I'll, I'll go for hundred. All right. See ya. Ryder just popped his head in. All right. Um, I would assume they could probably hear everything Ryder said. I hope it was a good little conversation. Um, my dad said the weekends at eleven fifty nine on Sunday. I'll give him a full week. I mean, if if he if it counts Monday at eight a.m., I'll give. I don't care. I'll give him till Monday at seven fifty nine. Logan, all right. So Logan, that was your question that you asked about the real estate sales license. By no means do you need it, but you know you learn along the way. You'll meet some other people along the way, maybe getting the license. Don't let that thing be like, oh, I don't have my sales license. I can't do this. No, not the taste. Don't and also don't let it be. Oh, I need my sales license to have huge success. Don't let that be the case. Don't let that hold you back, but it, it could help you. It's not gonna hurt you, it could help you. Colin asked, everybody's gotta eat. I tell everybody that, and you are super right because you said it. So he didn't ask a question, it's just a comment. Thanks, Colin, appreciate it. Thanks for agreeing with me. Um, let's just real quick see if Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. <laughs> I don't know, Instagram, someone on Instagram asked, what is, what's it like being the greatest running back of all time? That's a good joke. Um, I mean, it feels great. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I don't know who is that. I want to know who that is. I can't see. Um, yeah, going take me back to my college days as a running back. I was, I was, I was a little bit above average. I would say football player. I wasn't the greatest. I know that. 
Um, let me just see here. No other questions so far on, on Insta. No other questions on Instagram. All right, any other questions up there? All right, nope. So that means, Maudine, hit the button, and let's go to the next question that we have stored, stashed. Um, target IRR for new deals. I, I look at, so personally, I look more at cash on cash than I do internal rate of return. Um, I want to know how much cash, my cash is paying me. Um, so I, I, I do the IRR simply because some of our investors want to see it. And I mean, for me, it's like, I, I think a good deal is anywhere between 10 and you know 20% IRR. Ideally, something between 13 and 16, right? A deal, a number that you see regularly is 15% IRR. And it's like, you know, so yeah, a lot of times ours show that too, because that's just how they end up working out. Um, but that's, that's kind of the target range. And, uh, but I'm more of a cash on cash type person. And IRR, there, there's a lot of things that can really change the IRR really, really, really quick. I mean, if you delay some of your distributions, um, for six months or nine months, it can really change an IRR on, a, on, a, on something that you hold for four or five years. So I'm not as much an IRR guy. Um, we do include it, but I'm more of the cash on cash. And once again, you know that my cash on cash from day one, if we're cash positive, great. We could be cash negative, but if there's enough upside, I'll go do a cash negative, cash on cash negative deal um, for the first couple of years if there's enough upside to hit the big bang later uh, and, and have a big exit. So. 15% is typical for me. It's anything between it's anything between 10% and you know 20%. Sometimes, and the reason I say that the big window, the 10% to 20%, because let's just say if it's the lower end of 10%, you can actually find a deal, and if you underwrite it one way, it's a 10% or 12% IRR. But if you can find a little bit better debt terms, or end up having a refinancing period in there somewhere that you think you can pull off to get some of the principal back, some of the cash back. Um, you can actually improve improve that IRR as well. So that's why it's like, okay, my initial look, if it's like 10, 12 percent, I'm gonna try to find a way. What do we have to do to get that more towards 13, 14, 15? Um, because you can manipulate that a little bit based on your debt terms, based on uh, how much how much you're reserving up front. I'm pretty conservative, so I reserve a lot up front. If a deal is sitting at 12% IRR, but I've I've got $15,000 per door set aside when I'm um, in that model, when it's at that 12 or 13% IRR, maybe I'll I'll lower that to be $10,000 per per unit um, per year uh, set aside upfront in cash from our investors, and that will take that. And that will take an increase and give us a better IRR, right? So that's that. Maudine, next question. Thoughts on private money? I don't know um, exactly where. I mean, it's it's great, but I, are you trying to like? Is the question is the question thoughts on private money as far as does can private money just replace all? you know, all, all debt. And so like you're looking at private money as, as debt or, or are you looking at private money as equity? And so you're looking at bringing a hundred percent of the price and cash to close a hundred percent. It's going to be equity and it's all private. I, I don't know exactly from what angle you're asking this question. Um, there's a, there's so many different ways to have a capital stack in a deal. You just have to be open-minded and creative when looking at the deals, right? So thoughts on private money, we use private money all the time, right? 
typically we use private money in, with, with from private investors for the equity portion, which usually the equity portion is anywhere from 20%, you know, 20% to 35%. Typically right now, total equity we've been bringing to the table is about, is about 28 to 32% of the full deal. So whatever the price is, I'm like, okay, we gotta go out and raise 28 to 32% of that. It goes up to 32% again, when I want more reserves at the very beginning, right? Our, our loan, to, uh, loan to value is typically 75% right around there. So if I'm saying we're bringing 32% of the total purchase price to the table in equity, it's not because we need to because of the loan, it's because I'm bringing excess cash to be able to take care of the property, to be able to make it through an emergency situation like COVID before we know that everyone's gonna be bailed out essentially. Um, so private money is great and how we structure it then, how you structure it then is up to you, right? You can take private money and you could have that private money be a loan to you that sits on like your balance sheet, your personal balance sheet, or one of your company's balance sheet. Then you could take that money and you could use that as all the equity, you could count it as 100% of your equity, put it into a deal, but now you still have a note, right? You still got a note though that is payable to that private group or the private people that gave you that money. So you better hope that the investments pay off or you have other income streams to, to, to float that, right? Now that might be great to do in a deal that's a big value add deal so that you have 100% of the upside in the deal and then you just have a loan to your investors. The other way to do it is you can take private money and then they're also invested in the actual deal, right? Which is what we do. We've, we've not taken any private money and used it as a loan yet. It's all been equity towards the deal. But then now what we do, and this is what you can do too, or you can structure that uh, equity placement agreement, or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. You can structure those terms however you want to call it. So when we have some private money come to us, yes, they're getting equity in the deal. They're going to get depreciation. They're going to get cash flow. They're going to get the upside of the appreciation over time. But this, there's going to be splits so based on performance. So they're going to get a 6% preferred return on their money annually. And then everything above that is a 70-30 split. 70% back to them, 30% back to me. Right, and that's for performance. So there's so many different ways that you can use private money that private money is a great, great, great thing and you want as many contacts as possible and you wanna get out there and share your story and what you're doing and share your track record and promote yourself. That's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I do Instagram. That's why I do Facebook. If it were not for my businesses, I would not be on, I don't think I'd be on social media hardly at all. I'd maybe be the person that have 120 friends and it would be the, the close friends that I you know, went to high school with, family members and whatever. And I would not be, po I, I post not because like I'm braggadocious or whatever. I'm posting because it's, I'm, I need other people to know what I'm doing so that they can invest in my projects and us and it helps us grow, right? Can I do this without everyone else that's involved? No, which is a topic that I just talked about a little bit before. I need partners. I need people. I need employees. Uh, for some reason that Instagram story ended. Instagram live. I need people and that includes, you know, people bring private money. So private money is a great thing. And I will now, now to take it a little bit further, while I'm playing around with my phone a little bit here to get my live started again. It's, it's just like an error with the connect to the internet. Um, another thought on the private money is I, I do not, I'm, I'm never gonna say never, but it, it's highly unlikely I'll ever use just private money and have it completely replaced loans. I'll likely always have debt, 
right? And and I guess I could just use the private money as debt too, and that could be a bank if there's someone willing to take bank-like terms, which I doubt. So that's my thoughts. That's my thoughts on private money. Mundin, get the next question up. Well, I try to. Those of you just listening right now, what I'm trying to do, Instagram is giving me crap. It won't refresh my feed, and it won't let me go live. So I connected to the internet. I'm just gonna close all the apps on my phone real quick. Technology's great sometimes, and sometimes it sucks. I've been buying Bitcoin every week. For real? For the last, like, yeah. Whether it's up, whether it's down. I usually try to catch the dips a little bit. Oh. But it's just money that's like, if it goes to zero, I don't care. I'm not gambling. All right, let me try one more time here with, I can't do anything on Instagram. Instagram's probably crashed, it's done, it's over. Yeah, I can't do it. Can't do it. It's done, it's done, it's over. Let's turn this off. All right, next question, we have the next question up there. All right, so the next question is, here, turn that off because it's still vibrating or something. Red flags when talking to sellers or brokers. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, everything a seller or a broker says to me is a red flag, right? Because everyone's got different, and that's not a knock on them. I got, I got a broker that's invested with us and we're good friends and we talk all the time, but their motivations are different, right? They're, the brokers are looking to sell something because when they move product, that's when they're getting paid. The seller obviously wants the highest price possible and, and, and views the asset as it's untouchable and everything's taken care of and there's no problems here, there's no issues, there's not going to be any future issues because we put so much money into it, everything is perfect. And I've learned to just not listen. I listen to it all and I take it in. And it's not that I'm being, you know, it's not that I'm, uh, it's not that I'm paranoid, it's not that I don't, it's not that I'm untrustworthy, it's just that everyone has different motivations and I know that I have to take what they say, but then I still have to do my homework on it and make sure that it's the truth and figure out as much as I can on it. I'm not just gonna simply take someone's word for it and then, okay, here we go, let's go, right? So I, I needed to know, I needed to know, grasp it, get it. I need the facts, right? I need the facts for myself, see them from my own eyes. Um, so there, everything, everything that is said is a red flag and that's how it should be, right? But, but now the same thing should happen with me. Like when I'm buying a property, from a seller, the seller should have red flags with everything that I say too, because if I'm a seller, I obviously want to close this deal. I want to make sure the buyer that I'm getting into an agreement with is going to close, not going to renegotiate, et cetera, et cetera. So the same thing for the sellers, right? They should have red flags up when they're talking to the brokers and the buyers as well. The brokers should have red flags up with the sellers and the, and, and the uh, buyers as well, because if the brokers are going and working with a bunch of buyers, they also want to get the best match back to the seller, right? And it's not always the biggest, the, the highest price that wins a deal. Usually, yes, but not always. It's not always the highest price that will win the deal. And so uh, if you walk around realizing that, okay, and I don't know if I should call them all red flags, but I guess when I hear this, like what, what are some red flags when talking to sellers and brokers, the way that I view it, I'm willing to do business with anybody, but I'm understanding that everything they say has a red flag on it or an asterisk next to it. Right. I mean, it's like if I'm taking notes and I've got if, if I'm taking notes on like, you know, what what I think of the deal or whatever. And there's things in, in this this notebook, this page in the notebook has things that I know are facts and things that have been told to me by the buyer and the seller. It's almost like everything that has been told to me by the buyer and seller that I don't know is a fact from my own fact checking in my own eyes. I'll put a little asterisk next to it. 
right? And it doesn't mean that they're lying. It doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean any of that, right? And you know what? The brokers, right? I, I could say that there's a red flag on everything that they say, but everything that they say isn't even necessary. It's coming from the buyer too, right? It's not just them. So it's not even. I'm not pointing out brokers here and saying, oh, you're liars or whatever. A lot of times they don't have all the information or they're given the information from the seller and they got to deal with that information and break it down and present it how they got to present it. So, you know, that's that's how I look at it. Um, I, I just you got to be able to do your own due diligence. You got to be able to make your own reasoning. You got to come up with your you, you got to fact check it. You got to figure out what the truth is. You got to figure out if you can operate. You know, a lot of times the brokers will send you these numbers and it's like, dude, what planet are you on right now? Because I know it's I know hiring right now. People, it, it can be tough. And I know that the payroll is going to be much higher than that year one. But yet in their in their um, pro formas that they're putting together as brokers, they're saying, yeah, this is going to be eight hundred dollars per unit in payroll per year. And I'm like, no, nah. like right now, some of our properties right now are running $1,200 per unit per year payroll. And it's not because we're running them inefficiently. It's be just because that's what it's costing right now in some places. So, you know, you have to take you have to take to heart your own gut, gut, gut feelings, your your uh, intuition. You have to be able to do your own homework on everything that you're looking at on, on all pieces of the deal. You have to do your own homework. Um, and, and obviously take in, you don't just not listen, you listen, you take it all in, you weigh it, you value it, you put a value on it, but you can't just solely rely on what people are telling you is what I'm trying to say. That makes sense, Maudine? Yeah? Next question. So this question... This question is, as you're closing on one deal, how are you generating funds for the next one? It's a great question. So like this used to be the hardest, the, the hardest thing for me, the biggest worry for me when I was doing deals, like this deal that's sitting right behind me right now, if you're watching, you can see the signature 23 behind me. When I was putting that deal together, I had no clue how I was going to raise the, how much money we raised. It was only $750,000, which right now is like, oh my, it's so small compared to where we're, what we're doing now. But um, when I was doing that deal, I'm like, I have no idea right now how I'm gonna get the full 750. I, I was selling a couple deals, right? So I knew we were gonna have 300 to 400, whatever. I didn't know where the other 300, 400, 500 was coming from. And and so, and then, and then you know, now you're asking where's, where's it coming from the next one? Then I was thinking, wow, how am I gonna close the next one, right? Because at the same time, actually just prior to closing that deal, we closed a little 10 unit. So as, as I was closing the 10 unit, which I had funds for as well with one other investor, as I was closing the 10 unit though, I'm like, wait, where am I getting the next funds for this deal that I also got on a contract, right? So I was just committing to these deals when I had the 10 unit and the 47 unit under contract. I had no idea where the money was coming from. I knew I'd find it. I knew I'd get it somehow, some way. I didn't know how, right? But I was able to commit. So the biggest thing that you gotta do is you gotta be able to commit to your business, to your dream. Like we're buying vehicles here. We're we're looking for more space. We're hiring people. We're investing in equipment when it comes to prime painters. That is making me be even more committed to the business. Some people are like, oh, it's gonna tie you down. Well, good, it should tie you down to make it more successful to get to the point where it gives you more freedom because you have a big organization versus just dabbling, right? I'm committed. So now it's gonna happen, right? It's the same thing with the real estate. You gotta commit and then you gotta be able to put in the work you got to share your track record. You got to get your name out 
to um to then be able to perform on it right you got to be able to give yourself no you got to burn the ships you hear this all the time like you got to burn the ships you can't you can't just like there's no going back once you're going on this island like you got to fight it you got to duke it out because the ships are burned you can't just sail back and go back to where you came from right that's what you have to do to yourself and some people are like, whoa, isn't you put, aren't you putting yourself in a risky position or whatever? Are you going to get burned? At some point, I have not lost doing that yet. I haven't had something not work out yet doing that. Will I at some point? Maybe, probably. What's going to happen? I don't know. Is it going to be uh, something that destroys everything? Very unlikely. Very, very, very unlikely. But you got to be committed. So that's how I'm generating funds. I'm committed. This is what I'm doing. I'm doing a podcast. I'm doing Instagram. I'm playing around on TikTok, which Modine, when you start, we gotta ramp up our TikTok again. You know, I'm I'm doing more stuff on YouTube. I'm I'm posting on Facebook some things that are you know um, frowned upon by some people, and I get crap from some people. But it's not for me. It's it's for the businesses that I'm building. It's so that I can. It's so that I'm posting all this stuff and doing all this, not because it's comfortable. This is not comfortable for me, but I'm doing it so that. You know the deal that I'm I'm clo- I'm gonna close here soon. I don't have to worry about those funds being, but I, I'm already by doing this right now. I'm raising I'm raising funds right now by doing stuff like this podcast and Instagram that are four deals away. I'm raising money for that that deal right now because this is a part of building the brand, right? So with these deals now, we raised ten million dollars. The deal that we closed in January, we raised ten million dollars in a matter of days. We oversubscribed, meaning I had people in that deal that wanted to put more money in, and I said, no, I don't have enough room because I have new investors coming in too, and I said, no, you're gonna have to wait till the next one, you can put in this, yes, but I can't do any more now. And I had to tell numerous people that, I also had people that have not invested with me yet say, hey, is it still too late? And now, like they watched the whole time us do due diligence and all this stuff, they came to me like six days before closing, hey, is it time, like, is it okay if we throw in $100,000? I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm full. Is it okay if we put in 300,000? Dude, I can't, I'm full, right? So we oversubscribed on it and we already have probably three or $4 million sitting there for the next deal on top of what I'll be able to get once we have that next deal out and say, hey, we have this available, right? I mean, I have money sitting there that's that we don't have a deal for yet. So that's, it's, it's, a, it's very different when you're just starting though because that when I was just starting, it was like, how are we gonna get seven? And now it's like this next deal that we're potentially have a shot at, you know, we'll need less than $10 million, more, more than five million, less than 10 million. And it's like, it's not even a question where it's coming from. It'll be done in 48 hours, it'll be done and the money will be raised. But you gotta get yourself to that point. So you gotta commit, you gotta commit to your goals, you gotta commit to your dreams and then you're gonna, Somewhat by burning the ships, you don't give yourself an option to fail. Yeah, it's the same thing when I'm talking about. If you've heard my circle analogy, I don't remember. Do you remember what episode that was? The hula hoop, right? The hula hoop analogy. Um, if you, if you know, my hula hoop analogy is basically it's to keep it simple. I go, I went into it for like 15 minutes on one of the previous podcasts. You gotta go back to the podcast to find it. But the hula hoop, it's like you have to be able to. You, if you got a regular size hula hoop, drop it to your feet, right? Look down, you see how big that circle is. Right now, that's your comfort zone. You've got to jump out of that thing as far as you can. And what's going to happen is that hula hoop is going to grow, aka your comfort zone is going to grow and catch up to you. That's what you have to do here when you're worried about when you're closing on one deal. How are you generating funds for the next one? Like you just got to you got to jump out and believe. So like as you're closing, this is what I would do if I were you. If if you ask this question, whoever asked this question, if I were you, 
I'd be working on closing this deal right now and get an offer out on another deal that you have absolutely no idea how you're going to raise the two million, five million, ten million dollars from. Because if you if you do that and you put yourself in your position in that position, you're going to find a way to do it. You're going to find a way to promote yourself enough, find a way to promote your track record enough, find a way to promote your vision and get your vision and share your vision enough that you will find a way to raise that money. And then you'll look back. And now it's all over because now you're going to be able to look back and be like, oh my God, this is so easy. Here we go. And now you're going to ramp up and the next deal you'll raise 15 million for or 20 million for or whatever. And you're going to go back to this question and you're going to be like, oh man, like I asked that question and now this is so easy just because my mindset's in a different place and my comfort zone has grown so much. It's just that question's not even relevant anymore, right? That's that. Maudine, Maudine's got a question up here. Best ways to increase credit score. You know, if you listen to Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey said, you don't need a credit score. You need a credit score. See, this is our thing. If you listen to Dave Ramsey and if you listen to I, you'll never take action. Because it's we're pulling from different directions and you'll just be frozen. Credit score. Um, the best way to increase the credit score, Maudine, is to, do you have a credit card? So you, you got to get a credit card or, or a gas card or something. It doesn't even matter what it is. Like even if, even if like whatever bank you use, if they have a credit card or something. And even if, I mean, my recommendation is if you can get a gas card. Sometimes those are easy to get, Quick Trip or whatever. And it doesn't even have to, it can be like a $200 limit, $100 limit. And that's why, I don't know if you, do you have a relationship with anyone at a bank or anything? Okay. I would do, I would try, I would try like Quick Trip. I would look at like Discover. Discover credit card or Visa. I would go on all those websites and see and make calls and say, "Hey, like I'm looking, I'm looking to get my first credit card. What do you guys have available for me? Like, what can what can I do?" So I, I, I'm, I'm worst case scenario. I'm I'm willing to bet that like a bank, so a local bank, or one of these credit card companies would allow you to start an account with them. You put in, and let's say you get a credit card. They'll give you a real credit card, and let's say the credit card has like a hundred dollar limit. To start with, they'll probably, worst case scenario, you can probably convince them, hey, I'll hold $100 there in an account with you guys as collateral against, like if I weren't to pay my credit card, I just want to start building my credit. I want to, how, how can I do this, right? So that that's that's a worst case scenario. I know you can find someone out there to do that. Um, it's more likely, I bet, if you have you applied at all for a credit card? So go just apply for one. Go to like Discover, go to like MasterCard, Visa, you know, something like that. One of more, Discover was where I got my first credit card. Have you gotten a credit card offer in the mail? No. So I would I would try Discover first. Try Discover first. Do you have a bank account anywhere? Yeah. Where's your bank account? I would go to Blackhawk and say, Hey, I'm looking to get my first credit card. That those are the first two places I do. Reach out to Discover and reach out to your bank and say, Hey, I'm looking to get a credit card. What can I do? I want to start building my credit. And then the next step, the next thing you do is never buy shoes through it. Don't buy your computer through it. Don't buy like the things that you need already that you're that you're already buying. Don't buy them in cash anymore. Now put them on the credit card. Right, so if you have to go buy, what's something that you need that you go buy? I don't know. Do you buy groceries? Do you buy what do you do? What do you do? You buy. What do you buy that you need? Do you put gas in your car? Yeah, yeah. All right, so gas is something that you buy anyway. So every time now that you fill up with gas, put it on the credit card. But then pay before you ever get charged interest, and you have plenty of time, right? You basically have you know thirty to sixty days before you're charged interest. You make sure you get on there, and when the when the thing is due, make sure you automatically pay that thing from your bank account when that thing's due, and then that'll slowly start to build your credit. And then after six months, you might expand. You might now have four hundred dollars of credit on that, and then you might have a thousand dollars of credit on that, right? So that that's what I would do, and and that'll help with your credit score. That'll help. That's what I did like early on. I, I had a 
Discover card. I think either Quick Trip or Discover card was the first card I had. And I would just buy those. Like every time I'd get groceries in college, it was it was I put it on the credit card. I, but I've never paid any interest on on a credit card, right? And the reason that I always did that is because now I still have those credit cards. I have an American Express, and I have and at any time like I can pull without even signing other papers. I can pull like forty five thousand dollars from American Express any at any moment. Like right now, I can go and pull for, I could, I could go and I can get a much bigger loan than that from them too. And now I have to do some paperwork for that. I don't even have to do paperwork for the, for the line of basically the credit that I have with them. Same thing with Discover. Discover is less there. I spend money less money through Discover, but it's like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars. I could just go pull right now and use. And then on top of that, they'll send me loan offers. Once again, a little bit more paperwork from fifty to one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars that I can. Pull. So when we close these deals, I'll actually pull pull as much cash as I can out. So I'm still sitting on some cash. All the cash I have in my bank, put it in, plus some of the credit card money as well, put it in, and then I just start paying those loans off, right? It's just a different way of using debt and credit and all that stuff. But it all starts with go to the go to Blackhawk, like you should do this today or tomorrow morning or whatever. Go to go to Blackhawk, go and and start with Blackhawk even before you probably look at Discover and just say, hey, what are your what are you guys' options for beginner getting a credit card? Make sure it's a credit card, not a debit card. And then and then if they say, oh, sorry, we don't have any options for you, then just say, well, how can we work? You know, is there a way that I can have a, a have you know my money that's in my bank account if, where you can just give me a credit card and it has a ten dollar? I don't care if it starts with a ten dollar limit. Tell them and you can hold that ten dollars in my credit in my, in my account that's with you. So if I don't pay it. I'll pay it. I'm good for it, right? And that's, and maybe that's how you start. But that's you just gotta get started, and then all of a sudden, like six months from now, um, you'll get more credit, and then that all of that will increase your credit score, essentially. So, thanks. Yeah, that help. Yeah. Okay. Is that a serious question that you're just starting yeah. to look into, and that's why you're curious? All right. Cool. No, that's a good question. So, so, do we have any other questions? No other questions. Yeah, so we had another couple questions that were about um, how we started Prime Painters, like what my mindset was, what I had to do to learn, what you know, what, how much we spent doing it, what we, what we do first to set up, how you know, what materials and equipment did I get right away, you know, how many people did we hire right away, what projects, how did we get our first projects? I have questions like that regularly, and then this last week, someone sent me a question saying, "Hey, can you just can you just." answer this question on the podcast and then he just asked how'd you go about starting prime painters and it was so broad i'm like man that could be a full podcast episode it could be i mean it could be like a 10 hour thing that i could just sit there and talk about but i think what we're going to do is actually next week that'll be the 45 minute to an hour and a half podcast episode will be the full thing will be on how and and everything that we've done to build prime painters to being close to a million dollar revenue company in in a year um we're gonna fall short i think damn it Martin. Huh? Actually, let me do some math quick. So, we started doing, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm gonna, the time frame to hit the million dollars, I'm giving myself from starting last May, because I think from whenever we did our first retail job, that's when I'm gonna give it to. So, if we have to like mid May, that's like uh, nine more weeks or so ish. Right? And riders talking all fancy and, you know, big time, like 25000 a week. So if he sells twenty five thousand a week, that would put us. That would still put us about a hundred thousand. I think that would take us to about nine hundred thousand our first year. So we'd still be just short. So we gotta push Ryder. Yeah. Ryder, come on, man, sell some painting jobs, dude. So, um, but we got a shot. So, anyways, 
reason I'm just thinking about it a little bit is just because I'm going to talk about like my mindset going into Prime Painters, the goals that I set, what I wanted it to be, why I started it, how I started, how much money it took, the first equipment that I got, the first people that I hired, the second people that I hired, the, the next people that I'm where we're going over this next year, some vendor relationships that I talked to to get really very, very, very good competitive, I think some of the best pricing possible from one of our vendors, how I kind of went about doing that and how I convinced them to believe in me and do that and create a partnership. Um, so I think that'll be a good episode actually. So I'm excited to do that. So that will be that will be next week's episode, noon Central Standard Time, and that will be Justin Spaulding's show, episode uh, 14. This is the Justin Spaulding show episode 13 and uh i hope you guys's brackets don't get too busted today well, i didn't even fill out a bracket no. you've never filled out a bracket huh it's just not been no. any of your friends or anything i wonder if Ryder did huh. it used to be something that i used to do all the time filling out the brackets and stuff but so got a bracket filled out i got like illinois i think winning the whole thing so i haven't got one right i haven't got the champion right in like six years or something seven years so Hope your brackets don't get too busted. I hope some of you guys win a little bit of money gambling on uh, the NCAA tournament so that you can then go and invest it in your business. All right, that's what you should be doing. Don't go buy a lottery ticket after that. Uh, but yeah, that being said, we're going to sign off. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next week talking.